You know, this morning we're we're back in the in in the gospel according to Mark, and we're going to be in chapter six. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. We're getting ready to close out chapter six. Uh, next week I'm going to be talking about Christmas, but uh, I think this will kind of lead us into some places there. <clears throat> I, I do love this time of year. I have a lot of good memories as a kid uh, that always come back to me this time of year. Um, I always think of, of how much grace my parents needed for raising me as a kid. Uh, just in how, in what I remember about Christmas, I always loved. I remember being a kid, and one of my things the wife kind of holds against me is I'm always. Uh, 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 I love the idea of Santa. She's like, you know, you're you're a pastor. You can't. You're not supposed to that thing. And I catch a hard time for that one. I was like, I just love this idea of this guy who just wants to give people gifts once a year. That just sounds awesome to me. Like, I just, that sounds so godly to me. I wish I knew like a handful of people like Santa. I mean, I just like I do. I just, I, I think the idea of somebody who waits one time a year to give everybody he can presents and spends the whole year making presents for kids he could give sounds like the most Christian thing I've ever heard of. Honestly. And as much as we try to dog it because we, oh, it's, we don't want to take away from Jesus. I'm not sure that we do. I'm just really not sure that we do take away from Jesus. I, I loved waking up on Christmas morning and seeing presents laid out. Am I the only one? It was awesome. I mean, my parents, like, maybe just because they were heathens, we didn't do all that, you know, stuff about Jesus. Wasn't no nativity in our house. It was full-on Santa. And, but I mean, like, there would be all kinds of stuff. And, I, and I'm telling you, as a kid, I got all sorts of cool stuff before we knew it was dangerous. Right? I mean, I was eight when I got my first machete. That's probably not a wise choice. I look at my eight when, you know, Reese would be an eight. I'm like, ain't no way I would hand that girl a machete. You must be up out of your mind. I, I keep thinking as long as she keeps asking for a knife, the answer is no. The fact that you want one scares me to death. You know, that's what I tell her. But as a kid, it's like, man, my grandma, she would buy me ninja stars and nunchucks. And my brothers felt the brunt force of all that, you know. And, and yet they did it every year like it was wisdom, you know. <laughs> Uh, it was, but it was just such this cool, like I have happy thoughts about Christmas as a kid, and my parents actually seemed happy, whether it was true or not, I don't know, because of how, I know how parenting is now, and we want to be happy for our kids, even when it's times are tough, but there's some things that are just funny. I remember being little, and one year my dad got us boxing gloves, and he would have to be on his knees to box us. That shows you how little we were, right? And he would always pretend to get knocked out. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome, man. Every once in a while, we'd hit him. We'd hit him where it really will knock a grown man out. Because when you're little, that's about the size where you're at. So I mean, you know, it's funny stuff, right? I mean, like, so I have a lot of this like cool memories, and we laughed a lot, you know. And I know America has kind of made this thing kind of weird at times, where Christmas is so commercialized and it's so more materialized now, and 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 it, there's such this business to it and everything, but. With every generation, the, the idea of Christmas changes and, and what it is and what it's about and all these things. But the one thing that stays steady is the talk of Jesus and is the talk of what happened on that day. And we're going to get to some of that. But every, every year we try to, I mean, we try to do our best. I know in my family and I hope in yours as well, we try to place perspective on everything perspective on everything man i get where the world's going but where are you at you know kind of thing man aren't you rooted in christ well christ doesn't change praise god christ doesn't change he's rooted in eternity he's the same yesterday today and forever that means no matter how much the culture changes around me if i'm tethered to him 
I'm not going to change, which is good, by the way, because we, it's not that, that the world around us isn't going to change, and we're going to have to change to, uh, 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 to, to like live in this world yet not be of it, but we, it, it allows us to teach our children a lot of things, that God can do much with very little we have, uh, and that we can appreciate everything we have. All right, Christmas is like the one time where that is the message. Christmas is the one time. Right now, I bring this today because as I approach our text, I, I want to give you some perspective. There are a lot of things that we can taught from what we're going to talk about today, and I've heard, I'm, I'm like it's hard for me to like teach you something when we're going to talk about feeding the five thousand, like something you haven't heard. But I'm just going to try to keep it simple. A lot of times, uh, I think there there are times to dig deep into a text, and we find the hidden things, and there are things uh, that are sometimes at the surface that that are even harder to try to deal with, uh, but, uh, uh, and, and like those things we tend to try to avoid because they're hard truths, so we try to stay away from those, and a lot of times, the, some of the things where the Lord kind of uh, at least works in my mind, I tend to pick up the, the subtle things, or maybe the things that are like omitted by not talking about it, so these are things that speak to my heart, like the things going on in the room that, I, that, I, that maybe nobody else sees, but I pick up because I'm a people watcher. I'm watching what goes on in the room. And so when I lay out a text and I'm looking at a text, this is how I look at it. So I'm, I'm going to keep it real simple. It's, we're not going to like stay here all day trying to figure out what this text is telling us because it's not like that kind of text. But I do, I do think there's some challenge in there for us. And I do think as we lead into to what I'm going to talk about next week, this is going to help kind of make that flow. Mark 6. Verse 30, and I think we're going through 44. It's a long text, but just bear with me. Are we there? Say amen. amen. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told them all they had done and taught. Then Jesus says, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left the boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and themselves eat but jesus says you feed them with what they asked we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people how much bread do you have he asked go and find out they came back and reported we've got five loaves of bread and two fish then jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass so they sat down in groups of 50 or or 100 jesus took the five loaves and two fish looked up toward heaven and blessed them then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. Uh, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. A lot to look at here. A lot, lot going on. Huge miracle. Huge miracle. Hands down. One of the big miracles that everybody talks about this such a big miracle, it's in pretty much all the Gospels. It's all talked about. Everyone covered it because they couldn't believe it happened. I mean, it seemed impossible to them. After the disciples come back, Jesus says it's time for a retreat. <clears throat> By the way, how awesome is it that Jesus isn't opposed to a retreat? 
Jesus is okay that you at times need an opportunity to decompress from life. All right? My, my wife and I, we go back and forth. I'm begging her all the time, take off work. Get off work. I can, I'm like, come, come, come hunting with me. Like, I don't want to kill him. We don't got to kill nothing. Just come sit and stand with me. Come, come to the dearly to the house with me. I got a separate house that we have way out four hours from here. Just take off work for a while. I just can't. What are we going to do with the kids? Just, you need time to decompress. She'll get on to me like, you always decompress. <laughs> yeah, because I need it. I need it. If, I, if I'm going to be a good husband, if I'm going to be a good father, uh, if I'm going to be a good em, uh, employee, a good pastor, I have to decompress once in a while. And I'm glad that Jesus is okay with some of that. Um, sometimes after long days of work, we just need rest. Amen? Amen, right? Uh, Jesus likes rest, and you should be happy about that. Also, the, the, another thing to understand, ministry is demanding. Like, maybe that's why most people try to stay out of it, or maybe that's why most people don't evangelize as well, because they know it's demanding. If I start this, if I, if I actually go and witness to somebody the gospel, you know what that means? That means relationally I'm responsible for their discipleship. Maybe that's why I don't tell somebody about Jesus, because I don't got the time to walk with this guy from A to B. By the way, it's kind of a little selfish. I mean, this is this guy's soul. At some point, you gotta you gotta realize ministry is gonna be demanding. It just is what it is. Sometimes getting away seems impossible, but you gotta check your heart here. One of the coolest things about Jesus in this whole scenario is that he never gets angry that people keep calling him up, and that he never seems like to get a day off. It just is what it is. It's ministry. People have needs. God sent them. them by the way, God sent them you. That's why they're calling you. God sent them straight to you because you can fulfill their needs. Well, I don't have time. I've been out sending my disciples out. Don't you see how busy I am? God sees how busy you are, and yet he still keeps sending people. He sent them to his own son when his own son needed a retreat, right? Don't you think God will do as much for you? Sometimes, you know, I, I think I, I like always who said it the best. To me, in my opinion, who said it the best is construction workers. I don't know if, you, if you've ever been in construction or anything like that. One of the greatest things I've ever heard of construction workers, when they talk about work, they're like, there's, there's certain times when it rains, there's certain times when the weather doesn't allow construction. So you know when you work? When you have the opportunity to work. And if you can work, it doesn't matter. If they're going to work 12, 15 hours a day, then you're going to work 12 or 15 hours. You work, you work while there's work, right? I, I always love that because I really think that when the season asks it from you, when it's a season, or you ever had a month where it just seems like all you did was work all month, right? That's a season. There's no point complaining about it. There's no point griping about it. You just need to get up, duck your head, and get it done. Eventually, the season will change, and eventually, the season will come by, and you will eventually get a day off. But for right now, sometimes it's part of the work. And Jesus doesn't get upset. He doesn't get mad at all this people that keep coming. Hey, why don't we have this private retreat? Man, I said it was private. Now, he didn't turn around and say that, did he? <laughs> No, he accepts them all in. It says he has compassion upon them. He saw himself as one who was sent to them, so they weren't a burden. And he also saw them as somebody that had nobody else. Who else is going to teach them if I don't? Right? The same goes for you. There are just some people God has called you to. I hope you know that. Like, there's just some people God has called you to, and you need to be okay to that, Right? Listen, that's my life. You know, I feel always when people ask me about pastoring, I pastor a church, but I'm really, I call myself a community pastor. 
I pastor Marble Falls and the surrounding areas. I pastor youth pastors in other areas. I mentor other pastors in, in, in other places. I, I'm a pastor wherever there anybody that needs a pastor, period. You don't have to come to church for me to pastor you, to me to, for me to love you, for me to be there in your life, for me to call you or text you or email you or something, right? I think the same goes for you, for all of us. There are just people God puts in our life, and praise God he does. He gives us new perspectives and new, uh, uh, new, new seasons in our life. If the needs of the people that set this, uh, it's the needs of the people that set this whole opportunity up, by the way. You don't get the 5,000 unless Jesus stops. Unless Jesus says, hang on, guys, with this retreat thing, we're just going to have to deal with this. Right? You don't get the whole 5,000 being fed. You don't get to see the miracles if this doesn't take place. But however, this whole thing takes place, it is defined by one singular moment. It is the pivot between the ministry and the miracle. And, and it really is, it, it starts with the command, right? And so when you read the first half of this and you're reading it, it's the ministry's happening. It's hard. There's, uh, it's so hard we need a retreat. And in the middle of retreat, we have people calling us up going, hey, we need you. Uh, all these people are following them away into their little private spot. And, and Jesus looks around and there's just so many. I've got compassion on them. And they're like, well, we're going to have to tell them to go away or something so we can kind of do our thing. And then all of a sudden, here comes the miracle. But it comes in the form of a command. And it starts with this. No, you feed them. You do it. This single command presented by Jesus sets this whole thing up. I mean, think about it. The disciples are now presented with an impossible task. You feed them. Jesus didn't say, hang on, guys, let me handle this. No, he said, you handle this. I think that's a big deal. <laughs> I think that's often overlooked in this whole passage. Oh, Jesus ends up doing the miracle, but you know why? Because the others run around saying, I can't. The responsibility was placed on who? Them. Them. Jesus saw the need. He had already sent them out in pairs and trained them up all week. He sent them out, by the way, without anything in their hands. They had no food. They had no water. They had no extra clothes. Nothing to sleep on. They said, trust God for everything. These guys come back. They, they're like, Jesus, you should have seen it. We were like witnessing people. We were casting out demons. We were doing all this like cool stuff, ministry. And then all of a sudden, another opportunity for ministry comes. They had just come off the proving ground of ministry. And Jesus goes, all right, awesome. This is your moment. Feed them. I can't. What do you mean you can't? You just came off the ministry platform where you were casting out demons and calling all these things out in my name. You were doing all this cool stuff. What do you mean? They're like, well, we can't. It's impossible. How do, you, how do you feed them with just a few loaves of bread and, and fish? There's like 5,000 just guys, Jesus. It's a lot. Like, we don't got much. I don't know if you've been looking, but like the money in the till is short. There's just a little bit of bread, just a little bit of fish, man. Hey, we got a lot of good intention, but good intention don't fill empty bellies. I, I You know, come on. I, I mean... By the way, if, you, if it sounds like I'm kind of making it up, look at what the next response is. You feed them. With what? <laughs> awesome. I love the New Living, by the way. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the King James wouldn't say it like that, but I love the New Living. You feed them. Uh-huh. No. With what? I, you see anything else on me that I don't see? I mean, like, come on. They never viewed what they had would ever be enough, so it never entered into the equation as a of any other possible resource that would help them. They had something. 
But when they said with what, they never viewed as what they had was enough to meet the need. They had a few loaves and a few fishes, but it wasn't enough to them. They never viewed that what they had was enough. And can I tell you that most leaders and most people struggle here? This is like a really big, if I was going to teach leadership, this would be in a chapter of the book right here. All right. This is it's probably one of the greatest problems that most pastors have today. They never view what they have as enough to ever meet the needs of what God's called them to do. You know, one of the frustrations that with my wife and I go back, and I'm just kind of sharing you some stuff where we're both teaching each other and iron sharpening iron, okay? So it's not a downside for her or an upside for me or anything like that. But one of the things we talk about, she's like, man, well, you know, sometimes we're going to need volunteers for this and volunteers for that. I said, I'm going to tell you right now, God's given us everything we need to do all that we have. And that doesn't mean God's not going to send us more, by the way. What I'm telling you is what, what I do first and foremost is accept the responsibility that if God has called me to do something, then he's already equipped me to do it. But wait a minute. All I see is a few loaves of bread and fishes. Then you don't see in the spirit. You, uh, come on, where's your Pentecostal root here? I mean, at some point, your faith is going to, ex, uh, uh, is going to completely, it should radically change how you view your uh, amount of anything. If five loaves and a, and a few fish can feed 5,000, then surely what little you have can supply all your needs. you got to start thinking like Jesus thinks. I have enough. Why? Because it's what God has given me. It will meet my need. Why? Because it is what God has given me. And most pastors, this is where the green grass idea comes in. Well, I'll just keep jumping from ministry to ministry, and I never really build anything because somebody always else has it better than I do. Why? Because they never think that they have enough. It's a sickness. They never think that maybe God gave them all that they need. What they need to learn how is to put in action their faith and exercise their faith to take what they have and grow it. Do you know Paul uh, wasn't here at this miracle? You know that? Like Paul wasn't around. Paul never, under, never was here, didn't see this at all. Uh, and yet in his own life, he came to this conclusion uh, and I hope some of you will this morning. And I think uh, with materialism and the business side of Christmas at times, and, and I think we've all felt this because of Christmas and the business side of it, Philippians 4.19, let this remind you that this be your conclusion also. But my God shall supply your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul didn't even see this 5,000 this feeding of the 5,000, and yet he had come to his own conclusion in his life that God has already fulfilled my need. That when I have any kind of lack, I don't need to say that I have lack of this or I have lack of that, that God has already made sure that my needs are fulfilled according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I think this is the conclusion to any walk with God. You don't have to see the 5,000 being fed or have an experience like this. But I tell you one thing for sure. If you walk with God long enough, you will. God often takes your nothing and makes something. All the time. But it usually comes at a pivotal moment where God will ask you to do what you cannot without his help do. Let me say that again. It usually will come at a pitiful, a pivotal moment where God will ask you to do what you cannot do without his help. This is called faith. This is where we believe in the things we can't see. Well, I don't know how I'm going to get it done. I've got only some bread and fish. And by the way, it's not enough to feed 5,000. 
Get your eyes off what you have. Get your eyes on the God who has it. All right? He can take what little you have and multiply it exponentially. By the way, when we learn like the Matthew 6 stuff, and we talked a couple times, we, we beat that drum to death in here, right? Because at the end, really, it's all about what? Trusting God. That if we practice some of these principles, what they will lead us to is trusting the Lord so that when these moments arise and you have to exercise your faith, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how this is going to happen, but according to my trusting in the Lord and him and watching him meet my needs, right? My conclusion is what? That he will supply all my need, right? What kills me is we kind of live on both sides of that spectrum with the disciples, on one side of our feet, we, we've walked with the disciples in pairs, and we've done some miraculous work, and we go, oh, man, look at all these people. We, we're like, we, I laid hands on people. I saw this demon come out. It was awesome. Some of you got some stuff. If you've been in the church a while, you've got like some crazy stories where you've seen God do some miracle stuff. And then one little thing happens that's totally happened in your life maybe five or six times, and you're still like, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know. Man, are you kidding me? <laughs> Trust the Lord. Watch what he takes. Watch what he does. And here's the thing, you know, he says this, you feed them. And there's just a few things you can do here. When God presents you with a challenge, when God presents with you with a ministry opportunity, there's a couple of things you can do. You can shy away or you can charge in. By the way, Jesus charges in. I think that answers that what's the right thing to do here. And I think Jesus is always placing us also in this position. I think Jesus constantly wants to put us in the position where we have to exercise our faith. I don't want to exercise our faith. I'd like it just to be like good. You know what I'd like? I mean, my wife has a great heart about this. You know what I want? I just want my bills paid. I just want these things taken care of. Everybody wants that, right? Those are all good things to want. Uh, I just want this. I just want this. I just want this. But man, if I do everything for you, how are you ever going to exercise your faith? If I never present you with an opportunity to suffer... How are you ever going to grow? By the way, if the wind doesn't blow, the trees don't grow. Adversity creates the growth of the tree. But we all like tall trees. Look how beautiful they are. You know how many winds had to push them things back and forth to make them as strong as they are? But nobody likes the wind. And I don't blame you for not liking it either, but at some point, God's going to present your faith with an opportunity to grow. Jesus doesn't let us shy away from that. He constantly says, you feed them. Do you ever notice that when you're in this position, it's never when it's comfortable? <laughs> well, it's a comfortable time for our position to happen to me right now. I haven't had some savings. And I remember when I, uh, I placed all my hope in, I, I said, uh, you know, I placed hope in my finances when I first moved here. I had bought a foreclosed house before the market was bad, and I had a ridiculous amount of equity. I bought about $40,000 equity in my house, and it was just sitting there, and I was like, oh, man, I'm going to go into ministry and I'm going to sell my house, and I'm going to have like, you know, at the, at the least like $35,000 just sitting in the bank when I go to Marble Falls. It's going to be awesome. Everything's going to go good there. I'm going to buy a home. I'll do, I mean, I'll have all this cash to do ministry stuff if I need to. It's just, man, I set myself up with just, you know, human wisdom. I just did so good, made good decisions, and then the market crashed, and then my house got foreclosed on. I couldn't even give it away for what I owed on it. Couldn't. They were high, the market crashed. It was bad. Everybody, everybody suffered. And man, just like that, all of a sudden it went back to, well, back to square one. 
all that good decision and wisdom right out the door. And is that my fault? No, it's not my fault. That's just the way it is. And I can sit and get bitter about that, or I can move on and embrace the, embrace the fact that God grew my faith. You know why? Because now i got to come to Marble Falls, and instead of depending on that money, sit in my bank to make me feel good while I'm here. If anything goes wrong, i got this buffer. God says, uh, that's not how ministry works, Jim. That's not walking with me. You said you wanted to walk with me. You said you wanted to go where I go and do what I do. You said you wanted to hang with me. Well, uh, Brother Jim, here's how this works. This works is when you completely rely on me. So I'm going to take away the things that make you comfortable, and you're going to have to completely walk with me. Why? Because I've called you to feed them, and I told you to go get it done. Well, I don't got nothing to be able to do it with. You have me. You're missing the point, Jim. Wake up again. You have me. We want to do something great, right? Uh, especially, you know, even here with our finances, we want to do something great. But I'm not going to lie if I didn't say that I'm overwhelmed at the thought of what it costs to do a Marble Falls. You know, when we just talk about doing a, uh, our, our, like doing a building or, or, or this thing we're doing with a student center or anything like that, when we get ready to uh, move in that area or do our <coughs> student center, man, <coughs> I can't lie. I'm overwhelmed at the cost of property and buildings in Marble Falls. I'm really happy of the guys around me that have not showed any wavering whatsoever, which has helped me. But the truth is, is that like there's times where it just seems like a gigantic obstacle. And while I'm watching uh, uh, other you know, businesses come in, I can only imagine how much capital it must take to get anything started in Marble Falls. Right. And no matter how much we save, I keep going, is it is it enough? Right. I, God, I don't understand how we're going to do this. I I don't understand like how, how this is going to happen. God, it, I, I mean, I, I understand the process, you know, but it seems impossible to get to like like God, like there's not enough money that can make it happen. God, which, by the way, I'm reminded by God. It's like well, it was never going to take money to begin with. It was going to take me. Right. Because at the end of the day, you know what the resounding drumbeat in my heart is? Jim, I've called you to feed them. Go get it done. Quit, you, what, and, you know, the Lord's really good with me because I don't, he probably doesn't talk to you like this, but God always will talk to me like this. He says, Jim, you know what you do have? Plenty of excuses. <laughs> he said, you know, that's what the Lord will say. What you have is plenty of excuses. What I need you to have is plenty of faith. God has a way of calling me to the curb. I pray that he has that way of calling you to the curb. It's checks and balances in my life. It's a reminder God's command still stands. You feed them. Jesus is pressing for us to feed the 5,000. Make no mistake about that. And I'm, I, one thing I do believe with this whole building idea and this whole thing coming, I'm telling you we're in the middle of a miracle. This building will be a miracle because physically, man, it, they've made it so impossible to be here and do something like this that it'll take a miracle. It's going to take some divine orchestration on God's behalf to make some things happen. And it's, by the way, here's the thing is, it's supposed to be impossible. We said this from the beginning when Mosaic was first starting, that we wanted to be a part of something impossible. That way we could literally track our birth of our church back to a miracle. Where do we begin? We begin with a miracle. Not with, like, we got a bunch of smart business guys, hands down. But even then, if we built it with our own hands, was God it? Come on. I want something God built with his hands. But I'm going to tell you, being around Jesus and being around God is uncomfortable because they work in the impossible. They work in a way that exercises your faith. 
That's why when Jesus is going, hey, guys, I want you to take the, this idea of a building and I want you to build it for the next generation. And this, this building of yours is going to become the evangelistic outreach or outpost. Or by the way, the word I'm thinking about for the name of the building is the front line of all ministry in Marble Falls. It will be the front line of the next generation. And this front line is going to reach generation upon generation upon generation to try to hold the ground Hold the ground of every future, all right? Because the only way we're going to get the future is by taking care of what's going to be the future. And as soon as we put one up there in the ranks, we better be raising the next one up and raising the next one up and raising the next one. Well, God, I don't know how we're going to do it. That's not because you're not. It's going to be me. You wanted to be along for the ride. You're going to be along for the ride. Okay, God, then just tell us what to do. Amen? Amen. You know what he says to do? Feed them. You feed them. And the whole time, you know what I'm going with God? With what? With what? Get out of the way. All right? Because that's what comes next. Get out of the way. Let me show you. Let me show you. It's going to be impossible because it's supposed to. And here it is. It's Christmas. And when I think about Jesus being born into this world and God saying on this other side, man, you've you feed them to Jesus, right? Jesus is, he sends Jesus, this little baby, right? This, this one individual person raised from a child. He only has a few friends. He ain't like some of you got like 500 Facebook friends and all these Instagram friends and got a whole Snapchat thing going on with like 300 posts and it's like you're trying to keep it alive every day. Jesus got like 12 and half of them act like they don't know him when it comes to bad time. Every Easter, we sit around and talk about what? Oh, he resurrected. Right after his friends denied him. Forget about that part. This guy has a few friends that are super loyal to him. But he's just one guy. Jesus feed them. He's just one guy. He focuses on what's in front of him. And then he releases everything else to the Father. By the way, that's the model. Like, I'm overwhelmed, Pastor Jim. Do what you can do, and then trust everything else to the Father. That's all you can do. Anything else is worry. And worry is not trusting the Lord. God, if Jesus can trust the Father with everything, surely we can too. After all, Jesus makes... To me, in his life moment here, what he teaches his disciple is what Paul's conclusion is to the Philippians. God will supply all your needs. I don't know how things are going to work, but listen, God will supply all your needs. I don't know how much money you're going to spend for Christmas, but God will supply all that you need. I don't know how much money you need to daily live or pay bills, but I know this, that God will supply all your needs. I don't know how to feed the 5,000, but I know God's going to supply everything that they need. I don't know how we're going to build the building and pay for property and all this other stuff, but I know God will supply all that we need. And I, I have found this to be true in my life, and I hope that you found this to be true in yours. Now listen, but I still struggle. <laughs> Isn't that the strangest? Like no matter how much I walk with God, there's still those times where the reality is so in my face that I struggle in faith. But I can't escape this call. 
Even this morning, I hear it from the Father telling me, Jim, you feed them. The responsibility of being ready in and out of season. The responsibility of trying to be someone you could look to or model after. The responsibility of trying to teach others and, and be uh, uh, the, the, set the, 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 the temperature in the room or set the bar, so to speak. You know, at where I work, uh, I love those guys to death, but there's still some things these guys kind of struggle with. And one of the things that I have come to notice is like, you know, I said this, I think, last week or week before, where like, I didn't get it invited to a party. But you know why I didn't get invited? Because they know where I stand. And listen, they know that I'm not going to judge them. They know that I'm not going to rail an accusation. Well, I'm not going to turn around like, you know, you're all going to hell, right? That's not going to come out of me. You know what's going to come out of me? You know I love you, right? And if you get into a situation where you do something dumb, call me first. I'll come get you. I'll take you where you need to go. And then every time I'm talking around them, I talk about the things. When they bring up anything with alcohol, I'm going to be the first to say, hey, I can't do those things. I, you know, why, and here's why. Because I was an alcoholic. I struggled with this. Jesus radically changed me. I used to be like that, but I'm just not anymore. I found that there's certain things that try to rob me of God's joy. And God's, this is me. What, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to feed them. Trying to feed them. It's my responsibility. But at the end of the day, whether they come or they don't come, whether, whether the person I've been like praying for and praying for ever comes to the Lord, my hope is in God and God alone. I will rest on the Lord for my help, for my hope, and for uh, the right words at times to speak to people. I rest in the Lord uh, for the right seasons, everything in my life. And in, and in doing so, I found that he's met my needs. Even though the command stays true, Jim, you feed them. By the way, he's saying the same words to you. You have people you're supposed to feed spiritually, maybe even physically. But you have the same. Jesus feeds 5,000 here. And like we like, wow, Jesus feeds 5,000. But I say that every time we read this passage, he's still feeding us the same bread and the same fish that they're eating on from then. Amen. We're still eating the same bread and the same fish they're eating on. The same spiritual manna, the same spiritual quail. The same, we still eat manna. We still eat all those things. Every time we read about it, it comes back to life and God through his spirit because this is God's breath. The word of God is God's breath. It breathes life back into us. And we get spiritual, spiritual food now from these things. Jesus is still feeding us the same bread, the same fishes. It's never gotten old or stale or out of date because it is always enough because God is what this Christmas and all of next year God is what he is the God who supplies my needs and I love it because this is probably the most honest passage where it just deals with honesty in the scripture as far as like Jesus says, you do it. And they just go, we can't. And he goes, let me show you how. And they go, okay. And, and then like, you know, after all the miracles they see when we get to the end there, uh, uh, and he's going to the cross, they're like, it's like, and everyone believed, and yet some unbelieved. Like no matter how much we get it, we still struggle to get it. I can say it, it can sound like this awesome sermon, you know, in with the quote of scripture and at the end of the day we're going to walk out that door and still struggle and can i tell you this is where god's grace and god's mercy covers us god knows that we're going to struggle in this area god knows that we're going to have times where we back up two steps for every one step forward we take and god is patient with us to teach us to educate us to grow us into the people he needs us to be we're not always going to get it right guys 
Sometimes we're going to be more stubborn than others. But God's faithful. He's faithful. And God, I, I really think He's trying to, uh, he's trying to teach us. I, for me personally, maybe this is my journey. I know it's come out through my, my speaking. But God is personally trying to show me how to trust Him and walk in the trust of God. Not just him trusting me with something, but me literally trusting him with everything. And it's easy to say and harder to do. And when I say everything, I mean like everything. I mean, I mean my entire life. My, not just my wife and kids, all I trust you with those things. But I mean everything. The success of this thing, uh, his, his actual gospel going out. Is not, you know, it's not my responsibility. But every day I wake up and I'm like, how can I tell more people? to? I, you know, and it, it's as if like there's a taskmaster's whip to my back. If somehow this doesn't happen, it's going to be the worst thing ever. As if God's going to be somehow disappointed with me. Because my heart still tells me that stuff. So every message, maybe it all comes back to the same thing, but it all, to me, it, it's always coming back. Like, it's always God saying, Jim, trust me. Trust me with this. Yeah, I've given you a command. Now go do it. Well, I don't have enough. It's not enough. Trust me. It's going to be enough. Use what you have to do what you can, and that's enough, Jim. By the way, that's enough for you, too. Let me bring the worship back up. God's got big things for us next year. And I know for me, I think God spent the last two years just making my heart right to get ready to do it. I, don't, I know for a fact that if you met me two and a half, three years ago, I wouldn't be able to, to, to do what we're about to go do. Just heart-wise, I wouldn't have been able to, I wouldn't have, I'd have been too selfish to, to pull it off. I just couldn't have done it. It wouldn't have been a vision that would come from me. That's why I know this whole thing is from God. And, and, and I'm burdened to see it done. And I, even though the closer we get to it, I feel like, by the way, guys, I feel like there's, it, we're going to be attacked in this area. Do you trust God? I think that, why did, it, you ever, never, nobody, has, nobody ever wondered why God told Joshua to have courage six times in chapter one of Joshua? You know what? Joshua never once asked, why? Why do you keep saying that? I mean, if I said, hey, man, you better be strong. Hey, I just want to let you know you should be strong. You should think about being strong today. After somebody like, okay, dude, what's going on? What's going on? Six times he tells Joshua, be courageous. Can I tell you, the last two years, if there's been a theme in our ministry, it's been that God teaching us how to trust him in all things. Trust me that it doesn't matter who sees you. Trust me that it doesn't matter who knows that you pray or don't pray. Trust me that I see you in all these areas, Jim. Trust me, church, that I see you and will supply all your needs. Trust me. Wait a minute, God. Why? <laughs> you, keep, you keep pushing this narrative. And then you give us this crazy vision. And then now, you know, this whole you feed them stuff, God, like, I don't know how we're going to do it. Da, 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 da. Trust me. That's that part's coming here. But also know this, that we will meet opposition as well. Let's stand our feet and get ready for worship.